Good morning. How are we this morning? We're good? Good, good? Do feel free at any time. If you need a drink, just make your way over there. We won't be thrown by that. We like that sort of movement and chaos and disorder. That's fine. There'll be a lot more of it when we see the Holy Spirit come and increase in power amongst us. So we're used to that. The news, I think, are out on the corridor there. So um, it's just great to be with you. We are so thrilled to have the, the privilege, the honour to be with you and to uh, just minister to you. I, I recognise there are people here for the first time who didn't see us yesterday. So I'm Grantley, this is my wife Floss, and we have an amazing team of John and Jen with us uh, this weekend. And as I said, it's such a privilege um, to be with you. We've had just amazing hospitality in our homes that we stayed last night. Thank you so much. You've been so generous to us. Now, uh, Floss and I, we've been uh, part of uh, New Frontiers almost from the very beginning, or pretty nearly uh, from the beginning. And uh, we've been personally engaged in church planting. Uh, we've been involved in over 10 church plants that we've had the privilege to, to lead or inspire. And uh, the place where we are now is just eight miles uh, south of Norwich in a market town called uh, Wyndham, or Wymondham as it's spelled. And um, uh, we planted that church about 12 years ago, it started then. And uh, we expected, like all the others, that we'd be there for about three years and then raise up leadership and then move on. But God said, no, I want you to stay. And I want you to stay and build a big church in a market town, which... Um, though we've got uh, wonderful church planted history in market towns, our churches are still about 100, uh, you know, size, and uh, we felt we wanted to break that barrier, and so um, we just felt God was going to give us that anointing to do that. So uh, we would be about 400 at, at uh, Wyndham people who would say that uh, Hope Church is their church, and uh, come the autumn we're going to have two other congregations that's been spawned out of us, so... Um, God has been true to his word that he was going to build a big church and uh, we just believe that's the beginning and there's going to be so much more that he's going to do amongst us. But over the last 10 years we've had a particular burden and it's this, that as you know uh, New Frontiers was birthed in the spirit. That's the only reason it exists was because of the baptism of the spirit and people going on continually being filled with the spirit and we're just speak about that this morning. Um, but we were deeply concerned because um, though we say we are word and spirit, the predominant default mode has been word and not spirit. And uh, we felt God uh, particularly speak to us about uh, uh, getting that balance right, about particularly being devoted to helping churches to truly be spirit-filled uh, bodies that are living like Jesus lived. And uh, we've spent a lot of time in this country uh, on doing things like this, and in Europe particularly, we've done uh, many uh, 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 sort of projects like this, uh, just to help churches to realise that maybe the balance isn't where it quite, quite should be. And though we are in any way, we're not in any way diminishing the importance of God's word, we recognise that actually uh, we've erred on the, safe, on the side of, of, of safety, security, and our own wisdom, rather than in the power of God. And so um, we're hopefully we may be able to input something of that 
amongst you. Sam contacted me and said, hey, would you do a weekend in Kent? And um, we're, we're really excited about that. Many, many years ago, I came down to Kent um, to inspire the folk in Kent to church plant in market towns in Kent. And that was you know, long before you had all the churches you've now got in Kent. And so I feel in some ways I've sown a seed in Kent already. Maybe I can sow another seed uh, in this uh, county and beyond that uh, um, we can just help you because um, we recognise that this is a constant challenge. Uh, we are not there yet. We are still on a journey. And sometimes um, we can get far too word-orientated and lack the, the Spirit's power. So we're still on this journey. We're not, you know, we don't want to say, hey, we've, we've, we've arrived because we certainly haven't. And um, there will be times over this weekend we would just look completely blank and thinking, the Holy Spirit's here, but we've got no idea what he's doing. So um, if you can cope with that, I'm sure you can. There will be times when, um, when we, we might know what God's doing. And other times we haven't got a clue what God's doing. And we're going to make it up as we go along as he prompts us and leads us. So um, that's going to be very much the nature of, uh, of this weekend. And um, I think we can have a story. We, we told you about, <laughs> about Peter. So uh, we've got an update on Peter. This was the man who had his um, ulcerated tongue just totally healed. And uh, we just saw another story from Pete this morning, one of our uh, students. We run a school of supernatural life and he's one of our students. Right, so I just got this text. Just before we came out, we've got a WhatsApp group for our students of the school of supernatural life. And uh, here's Peter again on the WhatsApp saying... Hi guys, can I ask you for your prayers for a chap named Michael? He has a huge alcohol problem. I met him in a shop this evening after overhearing him tell the shopkeeper he wanted to give up drinking but no one could help him. The shop owner was only interested in selling him alcohol. I said to him, if he was serious about giving up, I'd love to chat with him and to wait outside for me. He then refused and walked out. As I came out of the shop, he turned round and asked if I meant it. So this is last night. We went to St Mary's churchyard and sat on a bench. I said I believed God wanted us to meet and was interested to hear my testimony. Obviously, he was interested to hear my testimony and God setting me free from alcohol. And I know Peter's done an alcohol recovery project um, program. He's trained and he, he delivers that as well. So just the right person in the right place at the right time. Is that amazing? Yeah. Michael gave his heart to the Lord on that church bench. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Celebrate. Yeah, we need to celebrate. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he gave his heart to the Lord on that bench and allowed me to pray for cutting off and breaking curses, addiction, and for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Wow. He gave me a huge hug and thanks and wants to come to church on Sunday. Please pray he is set free, healed, and mega blessed in Jesus' name. Brilliant, yes, amen. So let's just pray for Michael. Thank you, God, that you are at work in the hearts of men and women. Thank you, Father, that you meet those who are in need. And thank you that you put your saints 
in the right places at the right time. So we thank you for that, Father. We lift this dear man, Michael, to you. And we say, Father, will you continue to work in his life, bring him into complete freedom from his addictions, from all the chains that hold him, and bring him into the wonderful peace of knowing you wholly in his life and being able to live as your child. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You want to be part of a church where that's your day-to-day stories, don't you? Yep. Yes. <coughs> yes. You do want to be part of a... <laughs> yes. One of the, the key things that we do in every, every gathering we have, however, whatever structure it is, the first thing we do is share good news. We'll be talking about that a bit later on. And, uh, and celebrate the, the great good news stories. And, um, uh, I mean, I can honestly say, I have never been, since we started this this principle, I have never been in a meeting where we haven't had good news stories. Just think of that, you know. Not one meeting in which we haven't had a good news story of God doing something miraculous in our midst. I mean, you know. And uh, and we need to celebrate that. I, we were in Germany. And I was trying to um, get them to celebrate because they, they would hear these amazing stories. They just just sit there. They just sit there. So I, I you know I said, look, you should start, start cheering and clapping. By the end of the weekend, they were standing on their chairs clapping and cheering. So if I get you to do that, well, I wouldn't suggest on these chairs. It's a bit slippery, but uh, you know what I mean. Um, you know, you, we need to celebrate what we're longing to see in our church. We really do. And so can I encourage you to take every opportunity just to be ecstatic about what God is doing. So let me tell you a story. If this doesn't get you on, on, your, on your feet clapping, I know what will. Uh, Vicky, um, so mum, uh, this happened when she was in her 30s and uh, she was diagnosed with um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And in, it was in such an advanced state, she had three tumours in her vital organs. And um, they said there was nothing they could do. They would give her chemo, um, it would just prolong life. That was all it would do. And the church just uh, passionately, the church we were right involved in the very beginning, um, they passionately prayed for her, the elders took up the battle, and, and every opportunity ministered to her. At the end of the chemo, they did a scan and found that uh, it had only sort of knocked the, the cancer about 10% and it was just a matter of time. But the church didn't want to believe that, believed that there was a God who was sufficient to, uh, to heal her and restore her. So six months later, she was still breathing, they decided to do another scan. And as they scanned her body, they couldn't believe what they found. As they scanned her body, they found that there was not three tumours in her body. In fact, there were no tumours in her body. More than that, and this is what really confounded the uh, consultant, there was absolutely no scar tissue where the tumours had been. So even the very impact, effect, or the sign of the cancer being in her body had gone. More than that, he said there's something that we really do not understand, and that's this. That the normal effects of chemo, you do not have. 
It's as if you have never had chemo. And we have never seen that. You may never have met Vicky, but you are very grateful for Vicky because she's the treasurer of uh, Relational Mission. (laughs) And she keeps the oils, uh, so that she oils the wheels of, um, of, of our movement. What an experience. But isn't God good? Hey, come on, let's let's that's better. Come on. If, if you want to see that, you're gonna need to celebrate it. You're gonna really need to want it and show that you want it. Because that's the sort of one of the keys to breakthrough in this whole area. So we live in extraordinary times. I'm going to get some notes, I think. That would be helpful. I need to pretend that I know what I'm doing. Let me move this out of the way. For those who weren't here yesterday, Floss and I do a, a double act. We, we are sort of like wrestling tag teams. If, um, <laughs> and uh, we... Let me just get this set up. Don't you love the professionalism of this? <laughs> Here we go. We live in extraordinary times, as I said. I don't know if you know, but um, when the scriptures were complete, it was estimated that on the planet there was one Christian for between 60 and 70 people on the planet. I mean, these are, uh, uh, in some ways, guesstimates, but I think they're fairly accurate. So at the end, when the scripture canon was complete, there was one Christian for about every 60 to 70 people on the planet. And actually, throughout church history, throughout the history of this land, the the figure has not changed that much through time. It's vacillated between the good times, about 60, 1 in 60, the bad times, 1 in 70, sometimes even to 1 in 80. But you and I live in extraordinary times. Because from the beginning of the 20th century, something extraordinary began to take place. And you may, when I use that, that, um, that date, you may be thinking of things like the Welsh Revival in this country, obviously. You may think of Azusa Street and in California, in Los Angeles. And you may think, you know, there were some significant things happening at the beginning the break of the 20th century. But actually, God did an extraordinary work of outpouring of the Spirit, if you like, a fresh Pentecost across the whole earth. These were the nations that experienced it, ones that maybe we don't know too much of the history, but I've read much of it. I mean, extraordinary things took place in places like Argentina, Chile, Ghana, Korea, the Philippines, South Africa, and, and India. And sometimes far bigger outpourings in the things that you read about, like you know, the Welsh Revival in Azusa Street. Just this extraordinary outpouring of the Spirit as people began to look at the Scriptures and realise that actually we have missed the truth of the baptism of the Spirit and his constant filling. And they began to pray and seek God 
for it simultaneously without each other knowing. These countries were not talking to each other. These Christians were not communicating on WhatsApp. They had no idea what was taking place and yet the spirit was breaking out the beginning of the 20th century in an extraordinary way. And there's um, perhaps some debate exactly, but it is estimated today that there is one born-again Christian for every eight to ten people on the planet. Wow. Thank you, Lord. And why has there been such a significant change? Oh, you hear all the news, it looks like Christianity is on its decline. You know, there are 17,000 Muslims coming to Christ every week. Since the beginning of the 21st century, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the previous 14 centuries in total. You may be aware that in China there's been a, a fresh oppression of the church. And in many cases it's been made illegal. Every year since that's happened, 10,000 new churches have been planted in China. Staggering, isn't it? From our Western perspective, it might seem that we're somewhat beleaguered, somewhat, um, you know, pressed down. But the reality is that God chose at that particular juncture in man's history to pour out his spirit and everything's changed. And so you can see why I'm so passionate about ensuring that as New Frontiers Churches, as Relational Mission Churches, we are committed to being both word and spirit. The significance of that can, can be seen just statistically let alone in many other areas. We need more of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this session. There are two trends that has been happening in the charismatic church that I'm concerned about. And I want to share them with you. Because, um, in a sense, we are battling against those two trends. And the first one is this. That what birthed New Frontiers was a commitment in um, the baptism in the spirit. And now, in, in many charismatic circles, and in, in particular even in New Frontiers, I am hearing the doctrine that we get it all, it's salvation. That has been a doctrine that has stifled the spirit for 17 centuries. I have no desire to go back to it. No desire to go back to it. Now, hopefully... Uh, we can share with you. Many of the stuff we're going to share is straight out of the heart of Terry Virgo, his passion to see spirit-filled churches. So that's one of our first concerns. The second concern has been this, that we began with the spirit, but we've been, been increasingly moving towards trusting man's ingenuity and wisdom to build church. Yeah. And we've got to contend to bring that down. And it can be manifested in all sorts of ways. One of them is this. That there we have, sadly, we have churches within our charismatic families that um, restrict the, the, the use of spiritual gifts in our public gatherings. 
And yet, I believe in Scripture. People need to see the power of God. What does prophecy do? It reveals the fact that God loves us and knows us. And welcomes the lost to himself. So those are two trends I think we need to fight against. We need to move against. And uh, we're just going to do a thing this morning on the baptism of the Spirit. And on continually being filled with the Spirit. And as I said, you know, New Frontiers, we exist today. It's a relational mission. We exist today because of this rediscovery of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe, as I said earlier, that this doctrine that we get in all its salvation has restricted the church considerably. One of the great theologians of the 20th century, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, really paved the way for the charismatic movement. It was his teaching that sort of helped people like Terry Virgo to come to the conclusion that it was biblical to be baptised with power from on high. And he used to say this. I wish I had his amazing Welsh voice. He used to bellow and shout. So let me try to do this. Justice. This is a quote from him. For all those who believe that they got it all at salvation, he would say this. Got it all! Well, if you got it all, I simply ask you in the name of God, why are you as you are. <laughs> that isn't doing justice to him. He could do it much better than that. <laughs> He'd go on to say, if you've got it all, why are you so unlike New Testament Christians? Got it all, got it all. You're at your conversion. Well, where is it? I ask. Well, it's great to have great theologians quoted to uh, support my argument, but actually we're going to spend time in Scripture. That's where we need to root it, isn't it? Does this um, uh, truth that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was expounding in his inimitable way, is that what the Scriptures teach? So I want to take you first to the disciples in John chapter 20, verse 19. This will be very familiar territory for you. You know this, but there's knowing it and knowing it. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's knowing it and knowing it. And I want you to know it so it becomes a living reality. I, I, you know, I want you to be so convinced of this doctrine that you just can't wait to get your hands on people who are not baptised in the Spirit and see them baptised in the Spirit. That's the sort of impact it should have on you. Okay. This is verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus, this is the resurrected Jesus, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive 
the Holy Spirit. Now people, theologians have argued much about this passage. What is actually happening here? Some would say this is the point that actually the disciples truly became born again. And that is a really helpful understanding in this passage because you cannot be a Christian without the Spirit. You are born of the Spirit. So please do not hear what I'm not saying. Does the Christian have the Holy Spirit? Most definitely. Holy Spirit lives within you at conversion. Others argue this is, this is the transformation from the old covenant of grace to the new covenant of grace. And it certainly is that, isn't it? In which God just doesn't live alongside us, but lives within us. We become the very temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So it's that also. But clearly, Pentecost takes place after they've received the Spirit. And so right from the beginning, we see a separation between receiving the Spirit at conversion and being empowered by the Spirit at a subsequent encounter with the Spirit. Now, if you're sharp, you'll be saying to me this. Yes, Grantly, but, but, Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Spirit and power had not yet been given. And to which I answer, that is absolutely correct. Yes, Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. But what happens after Pentecost? Actually, we find, I believe, the very same pattern emerging right away through Scripture. So over to Florence. Brilliant. So let's look at what happens after Pentecost. We're looking in Acts, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 8, verse 14. And this is the believers in Samaria. So remember, the, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost on the disciples. They were baptised in the Spirit. Okay. Um, and this is what um, it says in Acts 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jer Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. This is, this is um, who was it who went to Samaria? It was Philip. Yes. Yes, Philip ended up in Samaria and they <coughs> had an amazing experience in Samaria. And so many came... So many people became Christians in Samaria. But this is what the, happened when the apostles heard about it. They sent Peter and John to them. <coughs> when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So can you see they've been saved but they were then, thank you, they were then baptised in the Spirit subsequently. And obviously the, the apostles thought this was really important. So important that they sent Peter and John to them. Now, I'm not going to shout at you like Ronnie when he does Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm just going to, speak, I'm going to speak quietly to you. <clears throat> so this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this. 
about these people in Samaria. These people were already true believers on the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified as their saviour. They had been baptised in his, into his name because they'd become believers, but still they were not baptised in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the believers in Samaria. Now, what then subsequently happened to a man called Paul, or Saul as he was? So his dramatic testimony, isn't it? Amazing testimony. is, is on his... I don't know if he's actually on a donkey or he's walking, but he ends up on the ground, doesn't he? And God comes to him in his extraordinary, dramatic um, transformation of this man. He, he meets Jesus, and Jesus just changes him completely. So that's what happened on the road to, uh, to Damascus. But three days later, he was approached by a man called Ananias, who was actually an unknown disciple. We have so much to thank Ananias for. Yeah. So we don't know anything about Ananias, isn't it amazing? And I uh, just want to tell you that there are so many people in Scripture that we know little about, but who has an amazingly powerful impact. And that can be you. Don't ever think that I'm only A. Ananias probably thought he was only A, something or other. But he had a dramatic effect on us through Paul. Okay, So he came to Paul and he laid his hands on him, referring to him as Brother Saul, which is amazing. See, this man who had been out to kill Christians. And, and you can imagine what happened to Ananias when God said to him, I want you to go to see this man called Saul. Uh, and Ananias said, well, crumbs, that's a bit of a... No. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, for my permission. Thank you. You're sending me to this man who's a killer. You know, how many of us have you know, wanted to do that? Anyway, but he was obedient, didn't he? Thank goodness. And he, was, he referred to him as Brother Saul, and so that he might not only regain his sight, but also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, plainly, Paul had had a conversion experience, but it was three days later that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then it goes on from there. Throughout Acts, you see the same pattern. So in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, we find ourselves in Ephesus, okay? It says, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. What did he ask them? Did he ask them, you know, are you praying really well? Are you reading your Bibles all the time? Are you, you know, do you really love Jesus? Which I'm sure he did, but... The thing he asked them, this is what he asked them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He was so concerned about this. He wanted to make sure that they received the Holy Spirit because that was so important. He saw to him and to them. And it, we have to say, you know, logically, Paul would never have asked that question if it wasn't necessary. So if the disciples had received the Holy Spirit in all its fullness and didn't need anything more, he would never have asked that question, would he? So he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? You know? And then when they said, no, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit, um, he then led them on from that repentance message that they'd received. And he told them all about Jesus and as a result they were immediately baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, so they were baptised. But there was no expectation of their instant baptism in the Spirit. So it wasn't like, well, <clears throat> we'll baptise you, and then that's it, you know, the Holy Spirit will come. No, Paul was intentional. He was intentional. 
about making sure that they were baptised in the Spirit. And so it says he deliberately laid his hands on them. He didn't think they'd got it all. Okay? He deliberately laid his hands on them and, and it says the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So Paul was very, very intentional. <clears throat> so clearly, the teaching that we're automatically baptised in the Spirit at conversion is really not borne out by these scriptures. And it was only when the Christians accepted this as God's truth that the dynamics of the Spirit came in power in their churches. And um, that coming together of the Word of God and the power of God has changed those people there forever. So can you see Scripture leading us to this? So we just want to know, you to know that we're not leading you up the garden path. It's actually scriptural. Okay, so I'm going to hand back over to God. Wonderful, Flossie. Thank you so much. So, you know when an apostle's amongst you because what happens is they pray for people to be baptised in the Spirit. It's not sufficient for the uh, church in Samaria to have a charismatic leader, a spirit-filled leader. Because that's who they got. Philip arrived, and all heaven broke loose. And so all those full of demons got delivered. And, it, I mean, it was, it was mayhem. There were screeches, and you, you can imagine it. It was chaos. Do you know, don't you long for that in your church? I love it when my church gets chaotic. It just, it's just, I just think, maybe God's here. Maybe God's here. <coughs> And it says, doesn't it, about that church, joy issued from that church and filled the whole city. That's what we pray often over our town, that the joy of the Lord will be so great, it will just spread over the whole city and and touch it. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, Karis is one of our uh, team on uh, evening school. And uh, she's, just, she's just this gifted uh, lady who just talks to anybody. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, nothing phases her. She's amazing. When we go treasure hunting, I want to be in her team because she's so better at it than I am. It's just great. <laughs> I want to learn from her. And uh, so she's in, the, as this happens all the time, she's in the, in the supermarket and she notices this lady who's sort of shuffling around the supermarket, clearly in pain. So she just goes up to her and says, Hi, I'm Coris in a very sunny way and I can see that you're not well uh, can I pray for you I'm from you know, that's what she said so I, you know. and this woman looked at her and she said are you from Hope Church and she said yeah I am she said that's all you do isn't it <laughs> what do you mean that's all you do she said that's all you do isn't it what pray for people yeah, yeah well, that's, what, that's what we do she said, yeah because because I go to their mums and toddlers group and uh, they pray for me there. And uh, they, I also go to the food club there and I was just queuing up to get me food and they prayed for me there. And now I'm in the supermarket and you pray for me here. And, and I'm thinking, that is, that is a sign that we're getting close to yeah. joy in the city, yeah. joy in the town. 
I want that to be multiplied. <laughs> I want it to be it's so, so intense that people cannot walk through Wyndham without being prayed for. We're not there by any means yet, but I, I want that. I want that. I want that. And it comes when you've got people who are baptising the Spirit and who are filled with the Spirit. But anyway, what was I saying about... Uh, yeah, go back to Samaria. I'm, I'm, can you follow me? I can't follow myself. And in Samaria, it wasn't sufficient that the leader was baptised in the Spirit. The apostles wanted everyone to be baptised in the Spirit. And they weren't going to leave until everyone was. So, in a short while, if you have not been baptised in the Spirit, then we want to lay hands on you and pray for you, and it will happen. Okay, we're confident of that. And uh, if there are any particular gifts that you've never had, you've never prophesied, or you've never spoken in tongues, then we want to just release that over you, and that can happen, uh, that will happen this morning. Okay, so that's on the, the menu. If you want it, you can order it, if you like. Okay? Because uh, that is the wonder of God's generous heart and nature. But it's not just enough. It's not just enough to be baptised in the Spirit and speak about an experience you had 20 years ago. You need to be filled today. Mm. Frost and I were guests at a, a Catalyst event uh, on Thursday. And uh, so this is right up to date. I had an encounter with the Spirit which I, you know, which I haven't had for a, you know, within the context of a new frontiers environment, I haven't had for a long time. So I'm speaking about a fresh infilling that I received on Thursday. Isn't that great? Yeah. That's what you need to be talking about. That's what needs to be contagious amongst you. That, you know, it is an ongoing experience of the Spirit that you are enjoying. Not just being baptised but being continually filled. Why do I say that? Because I want to warn you against what happens so often. And even happened in the early church, and Paul had to give it very uh, direct attention. This is what he said to the Galatians. Galatians 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit... Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? That's a little bit of what I mean about trying to organise our Sunday mornings, our, our gatherings, so that we don't offend people. I want to offend people. The gospel is offensive. So I make no apologies for offending people. I want to uproot people. I want to get people thinking. And in this postmodern world, people are tired of words. They need to see the power of God. And only the power of God will change this. Oh, the battle is the battle of the mind. Don't get me wrong. The battle is the battle of the mind. We need to renew people's minds. But actually, the key, very often, isn't apologetics. Though I am passionate about apologetics. And engaging it as much as I can. But the answer is an encounter with the power of God which changes this mindset <clears throat> completely. Completely. We must not try to finish what God started by the Spirit, by the flesh. 
Oh, we need to be sensitive to people. We need to bring explanation. We need to tell people what's happening. We need to do things orderly. But people need to encounter the power of God. They need to see it clearly, evidently. goes on to say this. <clears throat> Since we live by the Spirit, this is Galatians 5.25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The warning and then the encouragement. The warning and then the encouragement. And there's just two things that we're going to look at briefly, Floss and I. Um, how to continue to be filled with the Spirit. Okay. And two simple things that we want to leave with you. The first is this. That you should always long for the more. Always be longing for the more. Okay. And then secondly, and Frost will deal with this one, always guarding what you have. Okay? Guarding what you have, hungry for more. Guarding what you have, hungry for the more. And um, I want to talk about a man way ahead of his time. His name was Ezekiel. And we haven't got time to look at his vision in Ezekiel 47, but you know it only too well. There is the picture of the temple, of the mercy seat, and from it is issuing this stream that gets ever deeper the further it flows from the house of God. Before I speak about that, let me just a little aside. You want to win Faversham for Jesus? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm glad I got a response. <laughs> and sitting born? Anywhere else? Everywhere. Everywhere. Okay, that's great. Well, actually, winning a city is not difficult. You just got to look at Samaria. Philip did it. Just got to look at Ephesus. Paul did it. These weren't small places. These were significant people masses of their day, and they filled the city. It's not difficult. But you'll never do it staying in your building. Mm. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. You'll never do it if you stay in your building. Because the river is deeper the further away from the building you get. Have you notice that? That's Ezekiel's vision. The further you reach out into the broken world the deeper the Holy Spirit reservoir is. And look what it brings. It brings healing. It brings deliverance. It brings freedom. And he has this glorious vision. He was so way ahead of his time. And I said, we haven't got time to look at the vision. But this is the essence of it. It's ever deepening and never ending. Do you have that view of the Holy Spirit? It's always deepening and it's never ending. In other words, I've only just begun. I've only just begun to experience the Spirit. And I've been living in the Spirit ever since I became a Christian. Well, a year after I became a Christian, I got baptised in the Spirit. And since that moment in time, I've sought to live by the Spirit. Not always successfully, Made some pretty big mistakes. 
but I've sought to live by the Spirit. And I've discovered that it's ever deepening and never ending. And so we should always be thirsty and hungry for the more. Let me give you these words of Jesus. This is John 7. You know them all too well. Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Wow. So the simple question we're going to ask when we come to ministry time is simply this. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? If you've come this morning thirsty, God will quench your thirst. There is no problem on God's side about outpouring of the Spirit. The only restriction is the restrictions you make. You make it. God says you can have as much as you like. Without measure, the script. Do you believe the scriptures? Yep. <laughs> it says without measure. Unmeasurable is what he wants to pour out on you. Amen. Unmeasurable. Wow. Yeah, what we find in scripture is, you know, continually people are being filled with the Spirit. On three occasions you'll find Peter is filled with the Spirit. For Paul, twice at least. There are many more inferences. He could have been, well, I'm sure he was multiply filled with the Spirit. But actually recorded. There are a number of occasions. And obviously the, the Pentecost Christians, the ones who were up in the upper room, you only got to get to chapter 4, and what do you find? This is chapter 4. In the face of persecution, this is what they're praying. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs, wonders, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Look at their commitment to signs and wonders. That's what you need to see. That's what we as leaders need to be praying for, crying out for, and not relenting until we've seen them. Then he goes on, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I have yet to experience a trembling building. <laughs> I've experienced many trembles myself, but I'd, I'd quite like that one, wouldn't you? As long as it doesn't bring the building down, that's the main thing. But um, so it's, it's in scripture, so I want it. Too often we have this attitude with scripture, don't we? You know, um, you know, uh, uh, you know. I, I don't want anything in my life that's not in scripture. But we should be saying, I want everything in scripture in my life. So I want that. I, actually, I know people who've experienced that. They've actually experienced being in a context where the Spirit has come with such power, the building shook. That's pretty good, isn't it? I just wish I was there, but I wasn't. Let me just give you one more verse and I'll hand over to Floss. And that's Ephesians 5. You know this only too well. 
I keep on saying it, I'm not teaching you anything new, I'm just trying to bring revelation to what you know. This is Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We did a, a fire tunnel for our graduation of our students. And I tell you, it was, uh, I, I'm not sure anybody got to the end. It was just complete carnage. It was one, plus we should do that tomorrow. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Up for that, would you like to do a fire tunnel? That would be good fun. Get you to think about it. You're not sure? Oh, I'll tell you, great. <laughs> I, I rarely make it to the end, by the way. I'm one of these people who, are, who just rat, rattle, shake and roll, and I usually end up on the carpet with carpet burns. But that's fine. I'm, I'm up for that. Um, but yeah, we just started this, and, and it just it ended in chaos, wasn't it? It, just, it was such fun. It was such fun. We need more fun in church, don't we? Yes. I just think we need yep. more fun. Yep. And somebody came up to me and said, do you know, they all look drunk. They all looked drunk, didn't they? They all looked I said, yeah, that's scriptural. They all look absolutely drunk. When was the last time you were drunk? I mean, not... <laughs> it's not confession time. In the spirit. That's what we need. Instead, it, it says in our translations, be filled with the spirit. But you know that's continual tense. So really, we should... Translate it, go on being filled, or be being filled with the Spirit. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Whatever experiences you've had of the Spirit, you can have your greatest one today. Today. Right, Gloss. Okay, I have to testify to that about my husband and fire tunnels, because I was once... In a meeting um, <laughs> don't, don't. at Eastgate, not very far from the, up, up the road at Eastgate, in, uh, near Gravesend. And uh, the, the fire tunnel at the end of this conference was sort of you went down the middle to the, so it'd be like coming down the middle here. And then some of you went that way and some of you went that way. And they had a whole team, both sides, praying for people. And I was way behind Grant in the queue. And uh, so I ended up and I went round this way and then I, and I went round and sat on a chair and, you know, and, and just really encountered God. It was beautiful. And then I got up and then I went to the back and I thought, well, we need to go home because we had to drive two hours home. <laughs> and uh, and um, I couldn't find him anywhere. I could not find him. I looked everywhere for Grantly, everywhere in this room. It was a large room and I went everywhere to look for him. And I just thought, where on earth has he gone? And then I was standing at the back and I was actually standing at the back in front of the middle aisle. And then I was just like, I went down on the floor, and I could see a pair of feet <laughs> behind the first two people here, who were the, you know, the speaker and the and uh, and and Pete Pot, who was leading the meeting as well. And behind them, I could just see a pair of feet, and that's where Grantley got to, and they just sort of dragged him out and put him there and left, left him there. And never got it. And he never got anywhere else. But so that, I have to say that, and when you know, when fire tunnels come, I do have to be ready to lose him and uh yeah and we did really get carpet burns when we were in a in a in a meeting in america so i just want to say to you that um god really spoke to me about when we were saying goodbye to our students from this year's school of supernatural life um and um you know we we pray for them or we send them out with a sense of significance and purpose and everything we're just teaching into all of that um but god really spoke to me he said don't send them out filled up. Don't in terms of um, 
hunger. Don't send them out filled up. And what God wanted to say to them, send them out hungry, because actually that is when God really can move through you if you're Very continually good, yeah. hungry. And he just really said to me, please don't, don't let them think that they've done it all. Some of them have done two years in school. Don't let them think they've done it all, got their t-shirt, tick the box, go on. No, send them out so hungry. And I think rarely do we as church leaders think like that. We think we're going to send out, we're going to fill people up, we're going to give them all the you know, teaching that they need and they're going to be filled up. And no, God was saying, no, you need to create people who are always hungry. So are you prepared to be always hungry? Because actually if you're always hungry, then you're going to be continually filled with the Spirit. Okay? If you just think, well, I've, you know, I've done that, got that, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, you're not going to be continually hungry, and we want you to be continually hungry. Okay, so we're just going to quickly look at guarding what you already have, in a sense. And um, R.T. Kendall, many of you know him, and he tells a story of some friends of his who are missionaries, and um, they had doves living in the eaves of their house. Um, and these doves would actually just fly away if there was a loud noise going on in the house, if the children made a loud noise, if anybody was arguing or whatever. And they came to this conclusion. If we want to make sure that we never lose the doves, we're going to have to adjust our behaviour. Okay? And I think that's one of the keys to guarding what we have of the Holy Spirit and guarding that powerful presence of the Holy Spirit that we have to adjust our behaviour. And so many times in our churches, we adjust what Holy Spirit is allowed to do to make it comfortable for us. Yeah, come okay? on. Yeah. And that is, if you look at Scripture, it wasn't always very comfortable when the Holy Spirit was truly moving, was it? If you look at, even in the Old Testament, what the prophets were encouraged to do, look in the New Testament, and you know what has happened? And you look through church history, and you see what happens if you read the stories of Azusa Street. Extraordinary things happen there. You know, we have to let Holy Spirit <coughs> um, have his way. And we need to adjust our behaviour and our thinking to enable that to happen. And so if we want to keep that presence with us, if we want to say to God, yes, we really so value you moving among us, that we will adjust our expectations. Yes. And our behaviour. And so if something's going on that I'm not sure about, I don't like, if, if, you know, it's a bit like sometimes you can go to churches where they're not used to having children around. I know people get tucked when children are making noise or if they're running around to do things. You know, actually, we can be just like that with the Holy Spirit, can't we? If very Holy good, Spirit's doing good. something, that, or if somebody, we have a guy in our church who's one of our friends. And when Toronto happened, he was incredibly impacted. And he, he tends to grunt, and when the Holy Spirit's moving, he sort of grunts and sort of, I don't know how you describe, how would you describe the way? He roars. She, sometimes he roars, you know. That's never stopped since 1980, was it 1984, was it? No, no. 94, not 84, no, 94. How many years is that? And it's never left him. You know, some people think, what is he doing? Actually, he's been touched by the Holy Spirit and he's got the most powerful ministry. It's amazing. But we can be so British, can't we? 
be so British. I think often Latin nations don't find it quite so difficult to be so exuberant, do they? Or if we see somebody, we're very happy, um, I think often, and God really spoke to me about this, and particularly about fire tunnels, he spoke to me and he said, we're so happy to see people crying in church because we know God's really moving in them, don't we? You know, we know we're, we're okay with that. We're okay with people being in tears in church and, and God's doing something in that and they might weep and wail and that is one of the signs that God might be touching their lives. They might weep and wail. But we're really not so keen when people laugh a lot, are we? Oh, let's be honest, are we? And when I started going to places that where the Holy Spirit was in, I used to be quite offended that people were just laughing. You know, and then when I first came across fire tunnels and all these people just, you know, having such a whale of a time, and I was just, I, I was offended because I was a good evangelical Christian. Um, and, you know, you didn't do things like that in church. And you know what God said to me? He said, how many years have you been bored being in church? How many years have you been just thinking, oh, well, there must be more than this. And I remember being in a particular church had a big cross behind the pulpit on the wall and it was so deadly. We had amazing teaching. There was no life of the Spirit. And I used to sit there and I honestly used to look at the cross and say, Jesus, I'm sure you didn't die just to give me this. There was more. You know, and we... Anyway, so God said to me, well, you've been, you spent all this time being bored in church or being, you know, think, oh, think, and it's dull. And he said, he said, it's time to have fun. Because Jesus was the happiest man who ever brought well, the face of earth, and he's come to bring us into all joy. And joy is one of the wonderful things of the kingdom. Amen. You know, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's what it is, righteousness. We're okay with that one. Peace, we're okay with that one. We find it very difficult as British people to be okay with the joy, yeah. don't we? Yeah. You know, and if you all started laughing now, God would be so thrilled. He, you know, we're supposed to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Come on. I always remember hearing Bill Johnson talk about some people walking behind um, uh, some, or a guy who came into the church out of the blue. Um, and somebody, he was standing at the back and somebody said to him, um, oh, you know, have you been here before? He said, no, I've never been here before. He said, oh, what brought you? He said, well, I was just following behind these people who were walking up the hill and they were the happiest people I'd ever known. He thought... Well, if, they, if they're that happy, I need to go where they're going. And that's what you understand came to faith. That's what the kingdom of God's about. Come so on. actually, we do have to make sure that we are adjusting our behaviour. You know, how do we do that? Well, there are ways, you know, Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, we tend to think that grieving the Holy Spirit is terrible sin. You know, and not being holy enough, and not being, you know, upright enough, and not being. Actually, it says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit for day of redemption. He's the one that brings us into all truth. He's the one that brings us the joy of the kingdom. You know, and if we want to not grieve the Holy Spirit, we've got to think really, what's He asking? And certainly, the first one is that human effort. Grant's already spoken about that. You know, are you so foolish? This is what Paul said. Would you like somebody to come to your church and say, are you so foolish? We don't like being called foolish. Do we? This is what Paul said. He was actually out front there. Are you so foolish? It's foolhardiness to start with the spirit and then keep going in the flesh. 
And so often we think that sanctification is something that we have to work out by gritting our teeth and learning through scripture and, do, you know, and making ourselves more holy. No, sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit too, not just your salvation. Okay, so there are many ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So human effort is one, okay. The second one is actually disobedience. Now we're a bit more familiar with that. Yeah, we've got to be not disobedient. But actually, I just want to share with you, you know, um, I don't know how many, to how many sermons do you reckon you've heard in your life? I mean, I've been a Christian 50 years now. I think there's quite a few sermons. Am I obedient to everything I've heard in those sermons? We are actually educated way above our obedience. You know, um, I used to go to, when I was a young Christian at university, I used to go to a church that was absolutely renowned for its preaching. Um, it was utterly devoid of the spirit. Um, but I heard so many sermons that it was like a diet. It's like too much. Like you could have steak every day. Well, actually, if you have steak every day, it doesn't do you any good. You know, we need to have. We're we're educated way beyond our obedience. We don't need to know more. We need to do more with what we know, yeah. don't we? Yeah. And obedience is actually willingness to do whatever, whenever, and wherever what God's called us to. That's it, really, isn't it? And when Jesus and his mother and his disciples were at a wedding in Cana, it's recorded that his mum said to the servants when you know she was getting him to fill the jars with, you know, she wanted more wine. And she was saying to the, she said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Okay? You're ready to do whatever Jesus tells you? Whatever? Yeah, come on. That context for that very first miracle was the context of obedience. You know? And they, these words can be addressed as much to us as they were to them. And um, often we might have this attitude, Lord, we'll do whatever you say as long as we agree with it, really. Or as long as it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. And I think we had somebody really wonderfully shared last night, such a brilliant word, thank you, um, about being uncomfortable. You know, are you prepared to be uncomfortable? Jesus went to the cross. Are you prepared to be uncomfortable? I don't think you're ever going to be doing that, going to the cross. Are you prepared to be uncomfortable? And then sometimes we need to just ask ourselves, you know, are we just doing what God tells us when it makes sense? Well, actually, if you look in Scripture, a lot of what Jeremiah had to do didn't make a lot of sense. And actually, those, dis those servants at the wedding in Cana, where Mary tells them, or Jesus tells them, to fill those big jars with water. And then, take some out, they knew they put water in there, take some out and go and give it to the master of ceremonies, who was the man who, and he would judge the wine. Now, he obviously knew what he was talking about. They must have been quaking in their boots, mustn't they? But they obeyed. It did not make sense to them. And very often, it doesn't make sense to us, but actually God says do it. It can't have made sense to the disciples to leave their boats and everything that was secure in their lives and go follow a man they hardly had ever known. Can it? And if you want it to make sense, 
then your life is actually going to be quite curtailed, I think, in the things of the Spirit. Because often, you know, Holy Spirit will say, go and do such and such. And we'll tell you some stories about that as we go on. So actually, being a friend of Jesus, if you want to be a friend of Jesus, actually do what he tells you. You know, because that's it. That's what Jesus said in John 15, verse 14. You're my friends if you do what I command. Do you want to be a friend of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah? Come on. Do you want to be a friend of Jesus? Do what he tells you. Okay. And even in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it reads, to obey is better than sacrifice. Actually, we, we sacrifice in different things that might not be what God is actually asking us to no, do. That's you right. might think, you know, I'm going to really serve on a Sunday morning, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do the children's work, even though I don't really like children. Those sort of things, you know. Um, but actually, Jesus has said to you, can you just invite your neighbour in for a cup of coffee and tell her about me? And we thought, oh, no, I'm not really quite keen on that, but I'll do this for you, Lord. Actually, if we want to be friends of Jesus, we need to do what he tells us to do, don't we? And for Jesus, it was obedience unto the cross, wasn't it? And so it should be for us obedience. <coughs> and by obeying, it often means sacrifice. And uh, John 12, 22, it says this, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And reaching the loss, which is what we want to do, isn't it? That's our heart. And it says that's our mission, to reach the loss, because actually we want to bring the kingdom in. But the very first way we do that is see people saved, isn't it? We want to bring the lost into the kingdom. And it, it, it will involve sacrifice. Our pride, maybe, our reputation. Your people, your next door neighbours might think you're just really nice people. You're really kind. And you'll do anything and you do nice things for the neighbourhood. But you're not quite sure if when they hear that you're Christians and you want to tell them about Jesus that they'd still think the same thing about you. You know, and actually we have to sacrifice that. Don't we? We have to sacrifice it. And um, it means stepping over fear into faith. And that's what, on our School of Supernatural Life, that is where we start with our students. We say, you just need to take a little step over your fear. So if you've never told your next-door neighbours that you're Christians or shared the gospel with them, and many of us, you know, haven't, um, you know, um, I've got neighbours one side who know that, you know, who I've shared the gospel with, the ones the other side, a little bit more tricky. We haven't quite got there yet, you know. But actually, I need to step over my fear. We teach our students just to take little steps. So maybe if you've never told your neighbours, just maybe say, okay, God, will you give me an opportunity to interact with them? Uh, God, will you, Holy Spirit, will you cause them to ask them something about maybe what I've done yesterday? And you can say, oh, I went to church and it was absolutely amazing because we saw this happening in church. Or, you know, um, just telling them answers to prayer, you know, things like that. When I was working, I, I worked for a while um, in a stockbroker's office. I had nothing to do with stockbroking, but I worked as the, as the receptionist, and it was brilliant. I had so many opportunities to share the gospel with people. I loved it. I just used to ask God for the one person in the office, and, I, you know, and eventually I'd get to talk to that person and share the gospel with them, and then I'd ask for somebody else 
you know, it was, a, it was a wonderful time. But actually, I had to step over my fear to do that, just to engage with people, you know. And uh, I just want to finish uh, with some quotes from Spurgeon. You like Spurgeon? Do you like Spurgeon? Yeah, I love listening to Spurgeon. And we tend to think Spurgeon, he's the man of the word, isn't he? He's man of the, oh my goodness, no. Just listen to this. This is what Spurgeon says. <laughs> Death and condemnation to the church that is not yearning after the spirit and crying and groaning until the spirit is wrought mightily in her midst. Wow. <laughs> Death and condemnation. He didn't mince his words, did he? Death and condemnation. And then he says this. Goes on to say, I think I speak not too strongly when I say that the church in the land without the spirit of God is rather a curse than a blessing. This is a solemn word. The Holy Spirit or nothing and worse than nothing. He didn't mince his words, did he? Holy Spirit and nothing or worse than nothing. Hallelujah.